Welcome to Confabulation, the podcast. I'm Matt Goldberg, the host and producer of Confabulation, which is Montreal's premier all-true storytelling series. Every month, we have an event of live, true stories shared by the people that live them. And every week on Confabulation, the podcast, we highlight one of those stories. This week on the podcast, we've got a story from Raven Geist-Deschamps. Raven is actually a co-producer on the show now, uh, workshops a number of the stories you hear on Confabulation, the podcast. Uh, And I'd like to talk to her both about this story and that. Uh, But first, let's hear a story from last August. That's August 2014's Confabulation Presents Down to the Wire. Here is Raven Geist-Deschamps. So I am 12 when my grandfather first puts a rifle in my hands. Um, it was, you know, we're in British Columbia, we're on the island, um, and he decides that this is the moment that we are going to learn how to shoot. So we spend a day shooting into a microwave and learning about German hunting. And <laughs> this is great, you know. And this is what happens every subsequent summer. Um, for the rest of the summers that we spend out, out there. It's, um, without, however, ever getting to the point where we kill anything. You know, and as I get older, he keeps telling me about how I need to use my meditation practice to steady my hand. So, 10 years after that first moment, it should come as no surprise, really, that I would be dressed from head to toe in orange fleece cameo on the back of a quad in the middle of New Zealand, in the middle of the night, hunting possums. <laughs> I am, I, I got, so I don't know if you guys have ever heard about woofing, like willing workers on organic farms, yeah, so it's a big thing for, especially for people who are on exchange, you know, to do, and so the way that I'd actually managed to meet Peter, who is the trapper in New Zealand, was that he invited me over to his farm, um, promising me dried possum claws so they could make jewelry uh, with it, <laughs> which, which, which I thought was delightful. And so um, I managed to get myself there. He picks me up in his truck that smells of blood and dogs. And we, and the first day he decides that we are going to go night shooting. And so. Um, You know, he dresses me up, I'm on the back of the quad, and the way that it goes down when you night shoot is that you have a flashlight, and you're flashing it in the trees in the hopes that you're going to see the eyes of a possum, and then you whip your rifle around your shoulder, you shoot at it, you scamper into the woods, you try to catch it by the tail, because uh, I don't know if you know this about possums, but they're also very feisty, so they'll be like crawling away on their stomachs, even though they've been shot anyway. Um, and so we, I, you know, we grab them by the tail, bring them back to the quad, and possums are also hollow furred, so you can actually strip the fur off of their bodies while they're still warm, which the New Zealand government um, pays for. Um, and, and, so, and, there, and then there's also this other delightful component to the whole um, kind of carnal debacle, which is that they're marsupials, so they can grow marsupial babies in their little marsupial pouches, and the trappers have no problem scooping the babies out and feeding the dogs with them. And those are like, I know. So it's like, so, so I'm kind of, so this is my first night. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, and honestly, like, I guess, uh, you know, I've seen animals butchered through my grandfather, so it doesn't seem to be like a big deal for me for some reason. And so, this is kind of the introduction to the rest of my, my visit, and so what will happen during the day is that we'll be on the quad in this beautiful New Zealand outback. It's, in, it's 
gorgeous. You know, it's spring, it's warm, there's sheep all over the place, and we go and check the traps, and there's beautiful conversation. Like Peter and I talk about, well, his vasectomy, and his illegitimate <laughs> child, and um, how he loves Elvis, and, and all these different kind of interesting things. And, but then at night, what happens is that we go back to his home, his little cramped home, where he's with his wife and living with his, his son, and then I hear all of the stories about their lives. And so he'll put on some 1960s or 70s album like The Seagulls or I can't even remember. But you know, I'll hear about how he lost all of his money gambling or how there's one son that got trapped by an illegitimate pregnancy and had to father a child he never wanted to. Or probably most devastatingly is the other son that was doing the trapping with us um, had contracted hep C because he was uh, he was a chef and he had cuts on his hand and he had managed to help a client who was in distress and caught hep C from the client and had thus ha had to move back home, became depressed and um, yeah, and had lost his love. And so the contrast between these two things was kind of extreme. It felt like the, the freedom lay mostly um, in the moments outside where you could kind of forget and focus on these animals. So the last day rolls around, and honestly, up to that point, I was, um, I was really just assisting. I was really just stripping possum fur, and that was kind of okay with me. You know, it's like, like putting in, you know, like good thoughts for those, you know, the little possum souls, and it was fine. But as we drive up to this one tree, I kind of know what's what's coming for me. You know, Peter hands me um, a hammer, and. I walk up and there's a possum whose foot is caught in the trap and the possum is like climbing around the tree but then all of a sudden stops. And possums are night creatures so the possum's eyes started squinting as though it was really, really bright. And as I walk up, the possum covers its eyes and goes limp like it knows what's coming. And I'm standing there and of course, my wrist goes limp, and I look at Peter, and I go, no, I can't. I don't even actually think I said a word. I just looked at him, and he looked at me, and he said, it's okay. And he takes the hammer, and while I'm looking away, all I hear is this very loud crack. And we gather the possum, and we drive away. Thank you. <laughs> Raven, how's it going? Good, hi Matt. So have you heard or thought about that story since last August? Uh, no, not even, not even once. <laughs> See, I think it's great um, um, that we're doing this story right now because we've just marked the five-year anniversary of the show. And I mean, this summer really is uh, marking your first year working on the show as a co-producer. I was thinking that at the time I introduced you at that show, it was my first time introducing you as, as a partner in this project. Um, <laughs> How has that year, I mean, I was watching you listen to the story again, and how has that year changed the way you think of stories? Listening back to that story, did you have advice that you would have liked to give yourself? Um, I actually remember going blank uh, during that entire story, so actually listening back to it, I think I did pretty okay for my mind being somewhere completely, uh, completely elsewhere. But um, I think... 
what I what the past year has taught me in terms of um, storytelling is that people have an intrinsic knowledge of um, the rhythm of a story, mm. but they rarely see the rhythm applied to their own narrative. And so I remember when you worked out that, that story with me, what you just let me see was the rhythm that was already in the story, but that I couldn't see. Mm. And so a lot of this year has been about kind of helping people reappropriate the gaze that they have. Mm. Does that make any sense? Oh, absolutely. I mean, well, going into telling that story, let's talk about you first and then let's talk about your workshop okay. afterwards. Uh, going into that story, uh, there's that tension between how you see yourself and what you're being asked to do with a big hammer. Um, I realize the radio audience can't see you tell that story. Uh, how would you describe that that difference, like who are you? who is Raven? <laughs> I feel like I'm James Lipton suddenly, and it's inside the actor's studio. Who is Raven? <laughs> if oh, that's not too God. open a question. Wow, that is broad. Um, okay. We get a taste of it, right? In that line that you have there about uh, picking the fur off the possums and yeah. wishing their happy possum souls well. <laughs> I mean, that's, I think what really appeals to me about this story is that, I mean, you work as an osteopath. Mm -hmm. You work as a... Yoga teacher. A yoga teacher. You're a spiritual person. (laughs) And you have in there this bloody discussion of how they kill possums on the other side of the world. Uh, Yeah. um, I think... Is that a fair characterization? Um, That's a a completely fair characterization. I think to be able to do these um, (laughs) really manual and carnal things. I don't. I really don't think I would have ever been able to do that if my grandfather hadn't been so uh, proficient and easeful with the way that he killed animals. And I would have never spoken to the possum souls if he hadn't been the kind of person that would actually cheers above the animal's body after he'd killed it. Hmm. And so it was kind of coming from this tradition where carnality is actually, a, or and death is a part of, you know, the way that you feed your, your family. So that was all... And, but you have to remember that when I was little, I was everything around that. So, like, in the position of this hunting and trapping of possums, I'm everything around that. And I'm not actually having to pose, you know, I don't have to, do, you know, make the gesture that is taking away the life. And so it's right. really, I think that's where we feel that moment, of, or where I felt that moment of breakdown was just not being able to follow through on, on everything that, you know, I had been, uh, I guess, participating in or... or Supporting? Right. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. And it's interesting to me that what I see as a tension, although you don't commit that act, I mean that there is, uh, that is in your history, and that is in your person personality. Uh, that the, the this what I see as a sharp contrast between these two things, like you're telling us through your grandfather, really is. I mean, it's all a part of you. Though I do remember you telling me you had to take down all the Facebook photos of you in your possum hunting gear, afraid. <laughs> Of how people might see that. Oh, I mean, uh, I am actually uh, a little mortified that there are there's as much um, there are as many pictures of me holding guns in camo. <laughs> That's what I look for in a yoga teacher. Yes. I look for someone who can take care of themselves. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, your life with the show since then. I mean. How has your relationship with confabulation changed going from being a storyteller to now? I mean, um, I get way more stressed for shows. <laughs> Are you like that too? I feel so much less stressed now that you're here. <laughs> I mean, 
Um, I hyperventilate when someone um, I workshopped with is just about to land their drop, actually. Mm. So in, I'm in the stage wishing them really well and just hoping that the delivery is going to go as well as it did in practice, even though I know they're probably going to nail it. But uh, yeah, it's been amazing. I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> Where do you start with a storyteller? What is it that you're looking for in a good story? Mm. In a good story, what I... Is it just that drop, or is there a moment? What I often look for is um, consistent symmetry or chronology in stories. Interesting. So I really, I always love it when people start off with something and they end with it. Because hmm. um, they, they feel like, it feels like we're tying in a hole, a hole. Hmm. Um or we're, we're like completing the picture. Um, and what I also like is when people tell stories um, comfortably and with enough detail that you can actually figure out who they are. Mm -hmm. um, because I think, you know, I've heard you mention that to workshoppers, but it's incredibly important to actually know who's telling the story or else, you know, a, a good story can be a very bad story if you completely forget the person experiencing it. Yeah. Yeah, if it just sort of feels anonymous, that you have to have that person behind it. It's kind of a weird question. I've asked a few already, but uh, someone asked me recently if, if I considered confabulation uh, a literary event. I thought that was a fascinating question, because most people aren't writing their stories down, or at least the story that they write isn't the final story that they tell. Do you think of it as a, as a literary act, what we're doing? The creation of literature. The creation of literature. It depends on the, the writer, because we've had writers that have studied literature, and mm. their joy comes from producing these, you know, to use uh, words that are not mine, very carefully crafted sentences, and being able to land the complexity of a, of a well-crafted sentence is what they get out of the story. But a lot of the people, especially when we have beginners, um, I mean, you know, what happens with beginning storytellers who don't necessarily study t literature is that they use a lot of expressions that are not necessarily theirs, but because they've heard them to use to express the emotions that they were feeling. And so what becomes interesting is when you hear something that sounds like everyone else has always re already repeated that particular expression is to go and dig deeper and actually try to figure out what that means for the storyteller. So... In that respect, it becomes literary because you're pushing the person to actually express something that's, um, you know, that, that, that's real to them. Mm. Um, but uh, is it literary? <laughs> that's a big, that's a big question. I, I, you know, what I always actually really hope is that when people come and workshop with us, they develop the ability to tell a really good dinner party story <laughs> and they get inspired to entertain their friends take that high art we're just looking to make interesting well there's nothing wrong with that making interesting people I like yeah, that yeah. do you ever think about like what do you what do you want for confabulation you're part of this project now what do you think long term we should be doing because <laughs> I'm, I'm seriously looking for business advice is there a way to make this no but I mean is this the sort of thing where it's great what it is and just get bigger, keep doing what we're doing? Do you, have you thought about how it could change or grow? Uh, absolutely. I've thought, I've thought a lot about it. I think that what we have now is really, uh, is really great. And the, the ways in which I see it growing bigger um, are both having youth shows. So having 
shows for younger people where they actually can learn to tell stories to each other and learn how to listen to each other, I still think that that would be a really interesting way because telling a good story lasts your entire, you know, lasts your entire life. Mm. Um, and and for I guess for the adult version of the show, um, I think getting even more anchored in the scene would be really would be really great. But I don't mm. know what that means in terms of better collaborations with festivals or so. Yeah. Well, it's it's so fun right now. I mean, there's so many. Um, there's a bunch of storytelling shows happening mm. in different small corners, and I, I really love the idea of networking and bring things together. I mean, obviously we have a close relationship with Yarn, but um, there's other work that we can can build bridges with. I don't know. Work to be done. And if we are thinking about bringing things that are more literary, there are lots of. I mean, I, I also think that we should probably start being a little bit more French-Canadian. <laughs> I totally hear you. If you were listening to this and are uh, well-connected with the French art scene, I mean, it's funny, I started the show um, with a lot of my friends as the storytellers. The whole first year, I think, are all close friends of mine. But that has really linguistically capped us to this point. We've expanded. A lot of people, I don't know, I don't know where our storytellers come from sometimes, but uh, we still haven't bridged that gap. All right. And I don't know if it's a question of having another edition and trying it out just in French. Yeah. And I don't, but I think that would, that would be really interesting. All right, I'm making plans. <laughs> I'm taking notes. This is how we grow the business. Yeah. Well, um, I'm so excited to have you on board as part of the show. I'm so glad we could have you on the podcast today. Um, any, uh, I wonder, any of the themes in the upcoming year that you want to shout out that you're really excited for? Oh, my goodness. I am so excited about Now We Are Six, which is next year's. Um, <laughs> you're all the way at the end of the season? <laughs> oh. For man. next May. I love and, it. And, oh, absolutely. Stories about growing up. I think it's going to be amazing. I, I, I feel like, I mean, the last five years have been such a, a learning experience for me. I mean, by the time we get to the Now We Are Six show, I'm going to have um, a three-year-old. And you're going to have a... Oh, I was, thought you were going to say that you were going to start wearing a hat. I'm going to start wearing great. a hat. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> <laughs> this summer sun is killing me. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, uh, if you want to check out all the themes, we'll be having them up uh, very soon. I just announced them at the last show. Uh, but the next entire year's worth of Confabulation themes will be up at confabulationmontreal.com or .ca if you want to check those out. Thanks so much for listening. Confabulation, the podcast, is produced by Paula Flalo and hosted by Matt Goldberg. For more on Confabulation, you can check out confabulationmontreal.com or check us out on Facebook, the preferred social platform for everyone whose name is not Paula Flalo. Confabulation, the podcast, is distributed by No More Radio, available every week at nomoradio.com. Support for No More Radio comes from Montreal Improv. You can check them out at montrealimprov.com. 